This is KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. You're tuned into the Kenai Conversation. I'm Riley Board. On this episode of the Kenai Conversation, we're sharing the final installment of our 2023 Candidate Forum series. Candidates for the Kenai Peninsula School District Board of Education's Sterling and Central seats sat down to answer questions about budget issues, teacher recruitment, and homeschooling. Beverly Romanin and Kelly Cizek are running for the board's Sterling seat. Debbie Carey and Diane McRae are running for its Central seat. The forum was hosted in conjunction with the Peninsula Clarion and the Central Peninsula League of Women Voters. Stay tuned. Good evening and welcome to the final KDLL and Peninsula Clarion Joint Candidate Forum of the 2023 election season. I'm Ashlyn O'Hara, the government and education reporter at the Peninsula Clarion, and this is Riley Board, reporter with KDLL Public Radio. We'll be moderating today's forum. We're live on KDLL 91.9 FM, as well as on the Peninsula Clarion Facebook page and on KDLL.org. We're broadcasting today from the Soldatna Public Library. We're so grateful to the library for the space and for partnering with us to host tonight's forum. And as always, a thank you to the Central Peninsula League of Women Voters for providing refreshments. The League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan grassroots organization working to protect and expand voting rights and make sure everyone is represented in our democracy. And you can learn more at lwvak.org. Tonight, we're talking to candidates running for the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District, Board of Education, Sterling, and Central seats. Beverly Romanen and Kelly Cizek are running for the board's Sterling seat. Debbie Carey and Diane McRae are running for the board's Central seat. The term for the school board's Central seat will, will last for three years, while the term for the board's Sterling seat will last one year. Municipal Election Day is Tuesday, October 3rd. Peninsula Clarion General Assignment Reporter Jake Dye is running tonight's live stream, which is being broadcast currently on the Peninsula Clarion's Facebook page. Candidates will each have 90 seconds to make opening statements. KDLL General Manager Jenny Nyman will let you know when you have a minute, 30 seconds, and 10 seconds left with those yellow cards, so just keep an eye on her. Candidates will then answer questions we've generated in advance. You'll have 90 seconds to answer each question, and we'll move up and down the line so that each of you gets the chance to start first. And then we'll end with one minute closing statements. All right, and let's get started with opening statements. And Diane, we'll begin with you. Um, my name is Diane McRae, I live in Kasilov, and I believe that we need to get education on changed around. I think that parents are not as involved as they need to be, and I'd like to see more uh, basics. I'd like to see uh, trades in the school, I'd like to see health things such as first aid and CPR in the older grades. I'd like to see child uh, development um, being taught so that the future parents will have an idea of what to do with a baby on up to 10 years of age. I would like to see home ec and shop in there. I think we can do things if we work together because I think our education is not meeting the needs of the of the community and the future employers. There's been a lot of problems uh, talked about not being able to make change, understanding finances and all this. This I feel is something the school is lacking in. So um, we do need to change some things in my view. So thank you very much. Thanks Diane. And then Debbie, your opening statement please. Thank you, first off I'd like to thank the League of Women Voters, I'd like to thank the Peninsula Clarion and KDLL for giving us this opportunity this evening. My name is Debbie Carey. I live in Inilchik. I've been in Inilchik for 33 years. I own a business there. Um, I am seeking re-election to the board because I believe in the process that we have. I believe that I have some unique skills to bring to the board. I have employed young people in my business for 33 years and I appreciate the education that they have. I believe that every uh, opportunity that we take to learn something and to teach something is bettering our future generation. Um, I'm passionate about education. 
I see the big picture. That's one of the things that I bring to the table is that I realize that when we look at education, we have to look at the child as a whole child and moving forward that they're going to be the future generation that leads our country. I, I don't believe that any of our students should be referred to in a negative manner, but rather in a positive way so that we can move forward. Um, I'm dedicated, I'm informed, and I appreciate every single person that's here. Thanks, Debbie. And Beverly, we'll move on to you. Your opening statement, please. My name is Beverly Romanen, and I am running for District 5, which includes Sterling, Funny River, and a portion of folks that are out off of Kay Beach uh, around Skyline. So we have a wide variety of families that live in the district. Um, I am a longtime educator. I have been uh, a classroom teacher at uh, all three grade level, I mean all grade levels, and um, have been a principal, an assistant superintendent, and I worked with, uh, when I retired from the school district, I worked with a company, um, a national nonprofit that sent me all over the United States. So I've been in 25 states and a little over 400 schools. So I know what good education looks like, and I think that I can bring to the board um, an opportunity to know that some of the good things that are going on um, we all want to improve we have a great district and there's a lot going on um, and and Diane you'll be glad to know that many of the things that you mentioned are already happening so um, I, I think part of our problem is that we need to do a little bit better job of being communicative you know, letting people know what's going on. But I appreciate for the fact that you've been here tonight, and uh, I'll do my best to serve the board in the best way that I know. Thank you. Thanks, Beverly. And Kelly, we'll end with you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Kelly Cizik, and I am running for District 5. Um, it does include Sterling, Funny River, Kay Beach, and I think a little bit of Kasilov is what I've heard toward that just a tiny bit and I just I know those areas are very different uh, parts of our community and so I'm um, I'm just I'm running first of all because I was asked to run and it wasn't something that um, I thought I did think about it and I thought okay I want to get involved I've uh, worked um, with in a private school for many years with kids and I enjoyed that time and now I wanted to I have some time because I've stepped out of that to focus on um, working in the public sector I was raised overseas growing up and in that um, in my education with that I was I had the opportunity to go to many different kinds of public schools I was homeschooled and uh, I um, I homeschooled my girls, and they also um, went to Cook Inlet Academy. So I work there, and I'm um, ready to try to bring some different ideas, different ways of thinking about education uh, to the school board because I think that there's some different things that government can't do that, but we can we can bring it in. Thanks, Kelly. We'll now move on to the question portion of the forum. And again, you'll each have 90 seconds to answer. Uh, let's see. Uh, Debbie, we're going to start with you for this one. Do you have children that currently attend KPBSD schools? Currently, I do not have children that attend KPBSD schools. My last one graduated two years ago, um, off in college. I have one that graduated four years before that, also in college, her last semester, thank goodness. So, <laughs> thank you. Thanks, Debbie. Beverly, same question to you. Um, we have two children, and they're both grown and have children of their own, and they live out of state. So I don't have anyone attending the KPBS school district. Kelly, same question. Uh, no, both of my children are grown, 25 and 22, and um, my granddaughters are one and three. So they're up and coming, and that is another reason I want to get involved. Thanks, Kelly. Diane, we'll end with you for this one. 
My son graduated um, from Skyview, no, no, it was Soldatna High School. Um, he did do Sky, Skyview for the, the younger part. He had a mixture of homeschooling and going to public school. And uh, he's doing very well, and I'm proud of him. Well, thank you all. All right. And for this next question, uh, Beverly will begin with you. The Kenai Peninsula Borough School District has already said it will be facing another $13 million deficit for the upcoming budget cycle, meaning it will need to consider cuts if no additional funding is received. What is your philosophy when it comes to making those cuts? Well, my first philosophy is I'm, I'm hoping it won't have to happen. Um, you know, we funding in Alaska is um, sort of a little bit convoluted because a lot of times we don't know when the school year starts how much money we're going to have. There's still hope that we may be able to recover some of the money that were that was vetoed and so we would have. We're covered as far as our budget's concerned this year. There's not going to be any cuts for this year at all but for next year we are looking at a 13 million dollar deficit. So if we end up with some extra money this year then that will go toward next year. My feeling is that we stay as far away from the classroom as we can. We know that children learn better when they're in smaller classes. And we're fortunate on the, on, in the peninsula that we have uh, about a 17 to 1 ratio overall across the district, which is a good one. I mean, and it's better than most of the school districts in the state. But if we, 80% or just about 80% of our budget goes to salaries and benefits. So we don't have a whole lot to cut. And uh, so it's it's important for us to realize that um, you know it, it's it's something that's it may be difficult about springtime. Thank you. Thanks, Beverly. And Kelly, that same question to you: What is your philosophy when it comes to making cuts, if necessary? Well, I do think that probably there are some cuts to be made. I have not had the opportunity to be uh, a part of the budget like. Um, my uh, my peers here, but I feel like um, there I, I've been looking at the budget numbers, and what I'm seeing is that there are certain um, places that I I feel like there should be able to cut. There are certain schools that only have 41 students uh, enrolled, and they're part of uh, our community. They're not off the grid anywhere. Uh, one school I looked at had only five students enrolled in it. Um, and I don't know all the details about those students, but I know that um, uh, even from going to the one board meeting in Seward, some of the parents there said, why can't we combine our middle and high school? I graduated from uh, the school when it was combined, and now it's two separate schools, and it's on fire. <laughs> that meeting uh, had a lot of angry parents because they're understaffed. The other place that I know government can always cut is uh, line items that are that they keep uh, as part of the budget that are not staffed every year. And I worked for government in Anchorage for uh, five years, and I I know that sometimes we we try to keep money in the budget that we need to let go of that line item. So there are I think there's places to cut, but not the classroom. Thanks, Kelly. And Diane, that same question to you. Well, there's lots of things that can be done. Uh, you have to go through a lot of different things and look at the what's going on. I think that uh, we can do reach out to the community. I came from a small place in New York growing up, and the community did a lot of the stuff that the school budget didn't allow. We have a lot of small schools with small populations, and the people there probably could do when asked uh, to contribute for different things. Uh, a lot of the schools do not have music and art stuff that is very important for many of the, the children because it's another way of learning. And maybe we can reach out to the community to see if we can get people to t cover those things. There are probably many adults who know how to do music and dance and theater and art, and that might help out with that. Thank Thanks, you. Diane. And Debbie, we'll end with you on this question. What is your philosophy when it comes to making potential cuts? 
my philosophy is always going to be to keep the cuts as far from the classroom as possible. My hope is that we can come together as a state and we can say education is important, our children are important, we need to fund education. And the way that we do that is that we address the legislature and we say this is what we need. And if you looked at what happened last year with the legislature and they gave us the funding and then it got line item vetoed by half, there is still a possibility that when the legislature reconvenes in January that they can override that veto and that we would be we would be able to put that funding back into place when we talk about making cuts to small schools i i caution because the small schools are so, a lot of times the heart of those communities and when you look at the heart of a community and you're saying i'm going to take this away from you i'm going to take away from your identity I understand that that seems like a reasonable thing to do and in some cases we have schools that are designated as their own attendance area by the state where we are required to provide a school for them in that area. Thank you. All right, Kelly, we're going to start with you for this question and it's kind of a second part to the last question. but. The Kenai Peninsula Borough School District lobbied the Alaska Legislature heavily last session for a meaningful increase to the base student allocation or the amount of money school districts receive per student, which has largely remained flat since fiscal year 2017. Do you support an increase to that amount? Why or why not? To the amount that they have now? To the base student allocation. I actually think that the base student allocation is probably uh, okay where it's at. I looked at some of the numbers and the amount of funds that go to um, our schools here seems very high to me. Um, we are um, paying between 20, well, maybe not 20, but around $20,000 per student. And it just depends on what school you're looking at, what that um, rate is. But there is a lot of money per student that is going toward education. And I don't see the results that we want in how our kids are being educated right now. The, um, the base student, you know, you said it hadn't gone up since 2017, but our enrollment uh, in this district, I believe, has gone down. So that itself has increased the amount going to each student because there's not as many. I was, uh, I was uh, interested in the uh, formula when I first sat down and, and looked at it that the number of students in the district around 7,411, I believe, gets multiplied up to 16,000, I think, in that number range. And that was, um, that makes up the number of students, 7,000, is where that money is, you know, being spread out across this district, which is big. Thanks, Kelly. Uh, Diane, same question to you. Do you support an increase to the base student allocation? Why or why not? I think we have to look at what's going on in the whole state and whether it's feasible to do that. Uh, sometimes you have to tighten your budget and look through things. There's always a place where money suffers, winds up in. I know that when I was with Alliance with Concerned Taxpayers, there was a, we got the capper for the school district and we were amazed at where the money was sitting. And I think we need to look at the CAFR on a regular basis. Now that's one snapshot of every account. And you do take a look at that and you can see where money is stashed and where it could be used in other areas. So I think we need to really look at the whole thing and find out. The realization is um, our population is going down and Expenses are going on up, and we have to live within our means. So I think we have to work on that and see what we can do and stretch everything we possibly can. And I've had to do it in my own life. I think every one of us has had to work on a tight budget at one point or another. Thanks, Diane. And Debbie, same question. Do you support an increase to the BSA? I do support an increase to the BSA. 
I believe that we have made cuts in the last six years since I've been here to every department in the school district from the ground level all the way to the top administration. Um, we have less administrators than can sometimes actually run the district and so it makes it very difficult. Um, 79 cents per dollar goes to benefits and teacher salary. Our teachers are the lowest paid starting teachers in the big five. Are we showing them the respect that we should? I'm hopeful that we can increase the salaries for the teachers in the next negotiations. I went through the negotiations the last time and we made a start. But there are costs that we cannot control. Every one of us has been seeing what's been going on in our own households. When we look at utility cost, when we look at fuel cost, transportation, supplies, I mean, go to the grocery store. You used to be to walk, able to walk out with three bags of groceries for $50. Now you're lucky to walk out with one. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. And Beverly, we'll end with you for this question. You have 90 seconds. Um, yes, I do support the BSA uh, increase. Um, I think we have to look at the fact that in 2017 to present time, that there's been overall about a 23% increase um, in inflation. And so we are getting about 75 cents of, of, a, of the dollar worth of goods and services that we got back in 2017. We also have to think about our, as Debbie was talking about, the teacher salary, but I worry about the classified staff. Um, many of our classified staff are vital to the education of our children. And I was listening to the radio yesterday. Amazon is paying $60,000 a year for warehouse workers in the new Anchorage plant. Our classified staff make not anywhere near that. Now, you know, how can we as as a, a state say that we'll pay more for where, uh, for our warehouse workers than we will for the classroom aides that are there helping kids? So I support the BSA. Thanks, Beverly. And Diane, we'll start with you for this next question. KPBSD, like other districts around the state, has struggled to recruit and retain staff, with many pointing to the lack of defined benefit retirement system as a key contributing factor. What do you think KPBSD can be doing to recruit and retain quality teachers? Well, there's a lot of things that can be done. Um, reaching out to different areas, um, new kid, new uh, college graduates and all that, and getting them to come on up here. But at the same time, money isn't everything. Some people would want to come up here. Uh, it is an expensive state to live in, but uh, if you look through the lower 48, our pay is much higher than many other states. We also need to make sure that we're getting uh, Money, the value for our money. I mean, right now we are not, we're number 48 in the nation, statewide with our schools, 48th. That's not good enough. We used to be much higher. Something's happened that's changed it. And I would like to see merit raises for success, results. And that's what I think we need to do, is challenge us to get better, because our results are not good enough. Thanks, Diane. And Debbie, that same question for you. What do you think KPBSD can be doing to recruit and retain quality teachers? I believe that in order to recruit and retain quality educators, we have to first respect the educators. And part of that respect not just educators, but also our paraprofessionals that are supporting our students in the classroom every day. Uh, defined benefits, there is a legislative bill out there right now to bring back some defined benefits that when teachers retire, that they know that they will have a retirement and be able to live out their golden years, as they call them, I don't know why. Um, I, so I support the legislation to do that. Part of what, Ms. McRae said, grow our own. Respect our youth and realize that 
you know, we have the um, RISE program, which helps with students and gives them an opportunity to really realize whether they want to become educators. And I said I had a daughter that's in college that wants to do art education at a secondary level and come back to the state with a minor in um, American Sign Language. Somebody that wants to work in the state. And those are our children and our future. So growing our own, defined benefits. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. And Beverly, that same question to you. Well, I think that it's not really known by a lot of folks, but teachers don't have Social Security benefits. And they don't have a retirement unless they themselves put the money into the plan. And so we look at um, why someone would want to come and teach in Alaska when they can make as much money in the lower 48 and have a retirement. So, you know, without that retirement, our hands are tied. We really do, str we struggle. Um, I love the idea of growing your own. We've had an issue with the University of Alaska losing its certification for teachers, and I think they're on the way to getting that back, which will make a big difference because I think um, if people that um, live here and want to teach should have an opportunity to be able to do that. But I think the defined benefit is, is just going to have to happen, or, you know, we're not going to have anybody coming in. Thanks, Beverly. And Kelly, we'll end with you on this one. What do you think the district can be doing to recruit and retain quality teachers? Uh, well, I do agree with um, Beverly and Debbie that the um, part of the issue with retaining teachers right now, especially not maybe not our older um, teachers that have been in the system for a while and are at different tiers, but new teachers coming in, um, what I've heard from them is that they don't have retirement and that they're, um, I feel like they've said their pay is actually not too bad. So it's not the fact that they're not getting paid enough, but it's fact they're looking down the road and with their families and they're realizing if they devote their lives to this industry, that they are not going to have a place to land when they want to retire. And that is a concern. Uh, the one teacher I talked to was um, talking about um, you know, as much as they wanted to be a teacher, they might have to jump ship and go into a different type of field. So um, I agree with, you know, it would be nice if UAA got back uh, the ability to grow our own, so to speak, and have teachers that, I mean, most of our kids, my, our kids went out for college and then came back again because they want to be here close to their families. Um, but the, uh, I also think teachers want to be supported. They want to be supported in the classroom. They want to have manageable classrooms and they want to uh, be able to, okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> so there's music going off. Mm -hmm. Somebody's phone. Can, wait just a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unplanned. Mm -hmm. All right, Debbie, we're going to start with you for this next question. Kenai Peninsula Borough Mayor Peter Michicki and Superintendent Clayton Holland have both expressed an interest in making the district's homeschool program more appealing for students who currently are enrolled in non-KPBSD homeschool programs. How should the district be promoting what Connections has to offer? You have 90 seconds. Um, the first thing I think that we should do is call it Connections Homeschool Program. Um, connections, I don't know, just to me doesn't sound quite right. So. First off, I'd like to invite everybody to a town hall meeting given by Mayor Machiki and Superintendent Holland on uh, October 5th, I believe. And especially those that aren't in Connections Homeschool Program, because we'd really like to know why you would choose a different homeschool program. The other thing is that we get factual information out and let people know exactly what Connections Homeschool Program does offer. We offer the opportunity to students to attend, I think it's up to two classes at our schools, in the school, so say you don't wanna teach your child math. 
you have an opportunity to go into the school and have a teacher teach the math class. One of the other things that we offer is the sports program, and they can choose their school and they can play a sport. We've had quite a few homeschool students from Connections that have graduated and gone on with basketball uh, scholarships from local schools. I know that because I'm from an old chicken. That's happened a couple of times now. So I think that that's some of the things that we offer. I hear that we don't offer the same amount for the allotment. Well, we do offer the same amount for the allotment. So let's just get some factual information out and let's start with that town hall meeting next week. Thanks, Debbie. Beverly, same question to you. How can the school district, or how should the school district be promoting what Connections Homeschool Program has to offer? Well, I think the important thing is that we listen to the homeschool parents um, because they're the ones that make the decisions about their children. And that's why I think this town hall meeting is a good place to start. Um, I think that a lot of folks don't realize, as Debbie said, that we have all the programs. Not only do we have an opportunity if they wanted to take advanced calculus instead of teaching it themselves, they could go to the school, but we have special education. And so um, where others... Uh, homeschool programs don't offer that. So um, we can work with them in, in a lot of different ways. We even have a preschool um, that they can um, be part of if if they choose to, uh, you know, it, it's a homeschool, but it's it's at the, at the preschool level. So I think the most important thing we can do is listen to the parents, get information out there so that people can see um, what our, our program offers. And um, we have about 1,000 students uh, on top of the 7,300 and whatever regular kids that are uh, homeschooled. And um, so we, we've got a good start on it, and I think it's growing all the time. Thank you. Thanks, Beverly. Kelly, same question. Uh, when I first came to uh, the peninsula in 06, our kids were little, and I was a homeschool mom. I homeschooled with IDEA, and Connections was kind of just um, not a popular choice back then. Homeschool, homeschool was kind of poo-pooed a little bit back in that day, and... Um, so one of the things, uh, so I went in to talk to Connections because I haven't really been, um, I haven't really looked at the differences. And what I found is that they have uh, become m more similar to each other as time has passed. So the allotment is $2,700 now. So that is, I believe, the same as IDEA students get. They also provide the IT services. That was my favorite thing when I was a homeschool mom was to be able to get a computer provided, which they do, and to have help with it. <laughs> I never had to fix my own computer at that time, and that was a huge benefit. And I think that is also a benefit to a lot of um, homeschool parents. Um, they also, what I looked at, they also have, um, they're one of the larger growing areas for enrollment, I think, because parents want to have a choice of what their kids are learning. They want to know their kids are safe. They want to know that if they have the opportunity, they want to be able to be the ones to input that into their children. And I think Connections is a good choice uh, in our district. Thanks, Kelly. And Diane, we'll end with you for this one. You have 90 seconds. The parents that choose to homeschool their children have their own reasons why they're doing it. And because we have this forum, I think this will, will reveal the reasons why they're choosing which is what. Once we have the information, we can adjust things as needed, get them to go to uh, connections and make it better towards what they're looking for. There must be a reason why they're saying we'd rather go to IG IDEA. So let's wait till we find out what the results are before we figure out what to do. Thanks, Diane. All right, and we will begin with Beverly for this one. KPBSD teachers, like others in Alaska, are in the process of implementing new literacy programs required by the Alaska Reads Act, which Governor Mike Dunleavy signed into law last summer. How can the school district be supporting teachers and students as they get acclimated to new literacy programs? Well, it's a challenge because it is such a huge program, but we all know that life 
doesn't stay stagnant. It, it's changing. And our kids today are learning different things and in different ways than kids did 50 years ago. So we have to keep making these changes to stay up. We wouldn't want a surgeon going in and doing brain surgery on us if they hadn't kept up with the latest research. It's the same with teachers. So most teachers know and understand deep down, you know, this has to be done. The thing that we can do is to give them as much training as we can so that they feel comfortable with the system and then also be there to troubleshoot. And we have a, an assistant superintendent who does a great job in troubleshooting. I was just over um, across the water at Tabunga and they're um, implementing uh, the program over there and there's just one teacher. And it's really hard when there's just one because you can't kick it around with someone and so they've got it set up where she can have some contacts you know over here on this side of the water so um, you know we're trying to do everything we can to help them get there but if we keep doing what we've always done we'll get what we've always gotten so it's it's a necessity and it has to be there thanks Beverly and Kelly same question for you how can the district be supporting teachers and students as they get acclimated to Alaska Reads Act programs well, I think the Alaska Reads Act is a good uh, good for our state. It's modeled after the Mississippi and Florida uh, programs that have brought up those states uh, as far as their test scores. Um, I know that the district has implemented a whole new English language arts program this year, and it seems quite uh, large and cumbersome is what I've heard uh, from some of the teachers. Uh, I've also heard that some of the material they uh, has been inappropriate and I know that that uh, some of the teachers have gone to the board with their concerns and the board has responded to that I think that uh, like all teachers uh, training is always uh, needed um, but but back to learning new things in new ways I, I don't know that we need to reinvent the wheel every time I don't know that um, we need to learn different ways to read or to learn phonics. I know with my grandchildren, I'm using the tried and true, you know, you're going to read books to them and you're going to do phonics and you're going to do all the things that we did to learn how to read. I'm, and so I don't necessarily believe that everything has to switch to online or to methods that uh, are so new because I think um, there are methods in place and many teachers are, are really good at teaching them and we need to get our kids uh, focused on that. Thanks Kelly. All right and Diane that same question for you. I think it's hard on the teachers switching all the curriculum and all this left and right. Um, like she said We've had a system that worked very well many years ago when I was going to school. You did phonics, like she said, and the basics, and that was the building blocks for learning to read. And it went harder and harder and harder as you grew. And the teachers had a very stable thing. Constant influx with the the curriculum, I think, is causing a problem um, because you're always changing and you're not changing to get more knowledge. It's just, it just seems like you're just changing for the sake of changing, like fashion, you know? And I think we need to have some stability and be easier for the teachers. And phonics doesn't change. It really doesn't. Thanks, Diane. And Debbie, we'll end with you for this one. How can the district be supporting teachers and students as they get acclimated to those new programs? The first thing I'm going to say is that this wasn't a district choice. This was an alleg uh, legislative change and that we are required by law to follow the legislative change. With that being said, I'm also going to say that one of the things that we can do is professional development for our teachers. I think that it's really important that we allow collaborative times so that teachers can work together so that they know what's working and what's not working so they can make the choices to move the program forward as we are required to. The other thing that we can do is we can talk to students and we can talk to parents and ask them, what do you think? How are you feeling about this? What can we do as a district to help your child learn reading? And so working collaboratively together would be my main focus. 
on moving the Alaska Reads Act forward. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. All right, Kelly, we're going to start with you for this next question. Although a significant bond package was approved by borough voters last fall, deferred maintenance within KPBSD schools continues to be a roughly $200 million problem. What can the school district be doing to ensure it doesn't fall so far behind on school maintenance moving forward? Well, as far as I know, the bond package, um, they, uh, at, the, at the meeting I went to, what I heard was is that they had uh, sold half of those bonds, 30 million of them, and now they were um, on a, time, a timeline to do something with them. Um, it did not sound like it was going to go into maintenance. That was all, a, that conversation was all centered around a um, building, new building for the Readout Elementary that has uh, quoted or gone from 21 million to 35 million, I believe. And there's no one to do, to, to do it. So I, um, I don't know why they're not doing the maintenance on the buildings. That's puzzling to me because um, there is probably, if $200 million, there, there's a lot of maintenance to do. And I'm not quite sure why there's uh, all of this waiting. Um, as we watch, people are complaining that inflation is increasing. Well, repair and maintenance are one area where that is going to bite very hard if you do not keep after it, because those expenses really are going up just as quickly as everything else. Uh, Diane, same question to you. You have 30 seconds. Or, sorry, 90 <laughs> seconds, not 30 seconds. <laughs> I mean, what I've heard is people are very frustrated because they felt it was for delayed repairs. And then it changed. And that really ticked them on off. And if we can't build the building, let's work on the, let's work on the repairs that need to be done, get it up to speed, and work on if we need the new school and all that other stuff, see what we can do from that. But to lose the money and get in trouble with the bond and everything is ridiculous. We got to get things done. And since they said it was for repairs, let's get going on that because it's only going to get worse if they're that bad. Thanks, Diane. Debbie, same question to you. Can you repeat that question? Mm -hmm. What can KPBSD be doing to ensure it doesn't fall so far behind on school maintenance moving forward? So we're talking about two different things here. We're talking about the bond package that was approved by the voters, and then we're also talking about deferred maintenance. I think that part of the reason that we got behind on deferred maintenance in the first place was because the state stopped the reimbursement. They put a moratorium on the reimbursement. And the districts didn't have the money to do that on their own without the reimbursement that was supposed to be coming through. So there's actually two different issues. And when you look at deferred maintenance, it's exactly what it says. It's maintenance that probably should have been done. So when we're tidying, up, tidying our budgets at home, what do we do? Car needs an oil change. It should be done every 3,000 miles. Oh, I can stretch that. So that's where that number comes from, that $250, $250 million, is that we've stretched the maintenance that should have been done. We have windows in some of our buildings that are, they were put in there in the 1960s. Should they have been replaced with better quality energy efficient? Yes, they should have been. That's not what happened. And now we're adding those numbers and that's what we're looking at. So we need to have that five-year plan and we need to stick to the plan and we need to move forward. And I think that the borough and the school district at this point is communicating and doing an excellent job of saying, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're gonna do it. So let's just stick to the plan and get it done. Thanks, Debbie. And Beverly, we'll end with you for this question. Well, I'm not sure that people understand that um, the borough is the, is the entity that builds our schools and, and takes care of them. And so, you know, we, we have, um, it comes out of our in-kind services, but, um, you know, 
one of the issues that we have is that our buildings are getting older. A lot of our school buildings were built in the 60s and 70s and some of them in the 80s and things are just aging. And as, as if you live in an old house, you know what happens is after a few years, you know, the water pipes have to be redone and the electricity has to be redone. And we've got some buildings, especially Sadatna Elementary School, um, that is really in, in pretty bad shape. But the bond issue addressed that school. It, it actually, it wasn't that we changed anything afterward. What the problem is now that the money is, is going to take more money and that we may have to change something in order to finish it because the bonds have been sold. So that's where we are. We're kind of in a catch-22. Thank you, Beverly. All right, and Diane, we'll begin with you on this next question. In January, KPBSD will start contract negotiations with the two unions that represent its certified and support staff. What strategy should the district employ as it prepares to negotiate new contracts with those unions? Well, we're going to have to go through um, what needs to be done, what their duties are going to be, what they want, and listen to them, and come to um, an agreement. That's basically it. Um, it could be um, financial. Um, there's other ways to also address it, um, uh, such as education for things or training for them. So we have to look at different ways of looking at it, but we're going to have to deal with it. Thanks, Diane. And Debbie, same question, what strategy should the district employ as it prepares to negotiate new union contracts? Actually, I got to go through negotiations the last time. And it was really interesting because we did interest-based bargaining the last time. And I am hopeful that we will do interest-based bargaining again because you get people in a room. You don't talk about finances to start with. You don't talk about finances at all. You talk about the whys and the hows and the whats. So why do you want this? Why do you need this? How can we adjust? And then you come to compromises. And the very last day, you actually get to go into a room and lock yourself all in there together. And then you talk about the finances. And you don't leave until you have an agreement. So then that agreement goes out for ratification. I actually got to do that with the principal's administration um, at toward the end and we actually locked ourselves in this room that day and we walked out with an agreement that nobody was happy with but that everybody could live with and I think that that's part of what negotiations is all about is what can we do to compromise and come together so that we can work as a school district thank you thank you and Beverly same question for you well, I agree. We, there has to be consensus. Um, it, it has to be, first of all, you, it has to be done. The contracts are up, and we can't go on like they did previously several years ago where they went three years without a contract. So it, it has to be. And, and it's going to be a fine line to balance because we know that we're going to have this big deficit. Um, but we also know the worth of teachers and of classified staff, and we know that these folks are struggling. And so it, it, it's going to take a lot of listening and a lot of consensus building um, to make it happen. But um, I, I, I really believe that um, both the unions um, want to have an agreement, and I know that the school district wants an agreement. So I, I think they'll figure it out. I really do. Thanks, Beverly. And Kelly, we'll end with you here. What strategy should the district employ as it prepares to negotiate new union contracts? I, I think the strategy is to sit down and, and talk with people. I, there's, not, um, there's not a uh, better, better solution for that. I think that um, from what you know, my understanding is you know, people come in, they have their demands, and they have their goals that they want to reach, and, and the, school, the school district has the opposite, or they have similar that they want to try to bring to the table. And what, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to um, build a team that's going to be able to uh, 
feel like they're valued by what they're being paid, and I think the retirement part is a huge piece of that. I think that um, if, if teachers felt like they were being valued by even having a better retirement, that that would be something that I would hope that would be part of it. Um, I know that you know you were talking about the consensus staff. Unfortunately, we still have to operate within the fact that we work for uh, the government, and the government does not have money like the private sector does to just pay people the very top wage that they deserve. And as much as we would like to do that, we're going to have to make compromises on some of those things. All right, and we're already on to the last question of the forum before we head to closing statements. And Debbie, we're, we're gonna start with you for this one. When you think about the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District in the next five to 10 years, where would you like to see it be? And what is the school board's role in helping get it there? Where would I like to see it be? I would like to see us as one of the top performing states in all uh, um, aspects of student success, whether it's reading or math or social skills. So I think that the role of the school board itself is to put policies and procedures into place to support our superintendent and the superintendent's hiring process so that we put the best teachers there also and that we work collaboratively together. So my goal would be success for all students and that each student is successful in life itself. Thanks, Debbie. Beverly, same question to you. Well, <clears throat> I really believe that we send our kids to school so that they will have a better life outside of our school building eventually when they finish. And so my, you know, I think the district has, has made a, a, a great effort to now look at ways to help kids. Um, we're looking at numbers to see which kids are, are actually being employed in school, in a trade school, whatever. And, and that's, that's a that's a successful number. I mean, we, we need to know that. But I think we need to continue down that road. I think we need to make sure that our kids are prepared to do whatever they want to do when they finish. But we want successful students out there. And so that because somebody's got to take care of us when we get old. <laughs> Thanks, Beverly. Uh, Kelly, same question to you. You have 90 seconds. Um, I would like to see an improvement in the uh, overall uh, results that uh, for our for our kids. When I look at the test scores in various parts of the district, I see kids uh, struggling. Uh, what I I see kids not prepared to go out into the world and start a, a job or be competent. One of the um, things in working at the school I did work at is um, every senior gets to that point and what they see is this yawning future in front of them and if they don't have the next step, if they're not qualified, if they're not prepared, if they don't have someone supporting them through that, it's very, very scary. And so I think I want to see an improvement so our kids are uh, learning what they need to learn to be successful adults and that I want to see that our parents feel comfortable sending their kids to public school. Most parents that I've talked to want their kids to go to public school. They want them to be able to be safe, and um, they want them to be able to have a good education, kind of like you know people back in the day, just like I did. And so what, what's happening, though, is that that is not the feeling that they're getting quite as much. There is this, uh, they want more transparency, and that's what I would like to see with the, this school district, is that parents would be able to know exactly what their kids are being taught, and they would be able to have a say in that, and I want to be an advocate for that. Thanks, Kelly. And Diane, we're going to end with you for this last question. You have 90 seconds. Well, like everyone else here, I want the kids to do better. No one wants them to go stay where they're at or go down. So that's a good thing. Um, one of the things I'd like to see is more finances being taught in school. And I also think that's another thing that we can do with the teachers is let them know that they can handle their own money for retirement that would help. 
Um, a lot of businesses in the private sector do that, and I think having financial people there would be an would be a positive thing for the teachers to be able to have their pension and their own side money that they invest. And I want the children to learn to do this. I want the children to get out of the basement and into the workforce. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can do to get them there, and there's a lot of jobs that we don't even know exist that will be existing. And I want them prepared for those jobs. Thanks, Diane. And that's all for the question portion of the forum, but all of the candidates will now have a minute to give a closing statement. And Beverly, we'll begin with you. Well, I want to thank everyone out there that's listening and everyone that came to here today. Um, I know as a board member, one of the things that we all want is more transparency and more opportunities for people to know what's going on. So um, all of these forums have been helpful because that's what we're hearing. And um, so we, we've got there's some work that needs to be done. We understand that, but um, we're working there and working on it to see if we can help out that. Um, I appreciate everyone, and uh, it's, thank you very much. And Kelly, your closing statement, please. Um, I'm running with the, um, my statement is to empower parents and to protect students, and that is my goal. Um, on the school board, I want to be um, somebody that will be an advocate for the people, for the parents in our district, and uh, a place that um, they can uh, they can feel like they are heard and listened to. Um, we um, oh, I just went blank. Okay, um, so yeah, I, I thank you. I'm, I will have a lot of uh, hopefully hit the ground running if I am elected, and, but I promise to work hard, and I'm, um, I want to be an advocate for, for the parents and for the, and for the teachers, actually. So thank you for this time tonight, and um, thank you. All right, and Diane, your closing statement, please. Well, in my life, I've uh, been very successful in helping people become independent, not dependent. And this is very important to me, uh, whether they were disabled or um, super intelligent. I've worked with both extremes and helping them navigate to where they can be the most successful, where they want to go. This is very important to me, and I think that we can do a lot more and I love kids learning. I like the kids to be involved and active in the community in the end. Thank you. Thank you. And Debbie, we'll end with you here. Your closing statement, please. Thank you. The first thing that I'd like to say is if we as adults continue to tell our students that they're not succeeding, that they can't succeed, that they won't find a job, what are, our, what are our expectations and what are their expectations? If you're constantly told you're never going to succeed, you won't succeed. So I think the first thing that I'd like to do is send the message of students, you can succeed and you will succeed and we are here to support you. Um, I'm a team player. I know what it takes to be a board member. I've been on the board for six years. I put in the time that's necessary I will continue to put in the time that's necessary to make sure that our students succeed in life. So I'm asking you to please vote for me on October 3rd to represent District 7 and to represent the Kenai Peninsula Borough School District and all 42 schools in it. Thank you. Thanks, Debbie. And that is all for our second KPBSD Board of Education candidate forum and our final forum of the 2023 election season. A huge thanks to all of the candidates for being here today and to the Central Peninsula League of Women Voters for helping make tonight happen. You can re-listen to this hour on KDLL.org or you can read a condensed version in the Saturday edition of the Peninsula Clarion. And this was the last of our eight joint candidate forums held this month in preparation for the upcoming election.
Once again, Election Day is Tuesday, October 3rd, and you can find more information and written bios from the candidates on the borough's website at kpb.us. Thank you all for participating, and happy voting. And that's all for this episode of the Kenai Conversation. Thank you to candidates Debbie Carey, Diane McRae, Beverly Romanen, and Kelly Cizik, and thanks to Ashlyn O'Hara for co-hosting. This was our final candidate forum before the October 3rd election. You can hear the Kenai Conversation every week on Wednesday at 10 a.m. and Saturday at 5 p.m. here on KDLL. Or you can find it on our website, kdll.org. I'm Riley Board. Thanks for tuning in.